would you think if you discovered that dozens of predictive prophecies were fulfilled by a man born hundreds of years after the prophecies were made? It would kind of get your attention, wouldn't it? Well, we actually have the historical evidence for such a case. And in fact, it's the reason for the season. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. This is a program that examines cultural and spiritual issues in the light of reason and evidence. And by the way, we have resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find articles, books, and past shows, including Dr. Zucharin's interviews with experts on a wide variety of topics. Check it out at evidenceandanswers.org. Recently, Pat spoke before an audience on the West Coast concerning the real reason for the season. Here's Dr. Pat Zucharin. Well, it's about that time of the year where you start seeing all these Christmas specials coming to theaters and on TV. And the lineup of Christmas specials reveals where our culture is in regards to their attitude towards the real meaning behind the season. You see less and less movies referencing the birth of Christ. And now the majority of Christmas specials in theaters and on TV focus on Santa Claus or shopping or some feature that was once secondary to Christmas now is the primary focus in many of these movies. Manger scenes are now being prohibited to be displayed in public arenas and in malls. In fact, uh, Bill and uh, Pastor Mark were at the uh, beautiful South Coast Plaza the other day. One of the things I noticed of all the decorations up there is that uh, there's an absence of anything referring to Christ or any kind of manger scene up there. And I challenge you, you know, this afternoon or this week as you're going to the mall and take a look at the decorations in the malls or where you may see in public arenas and I challenge you to find any kind of reference to Christ or the three wise men or any kind of manger scene that is out there. Now our culture is attempting to suppress the real reason behind the season. And in the midst of a culture suppressing the message of Christ, it's more important than ever that we as the people of God continue to boldly proclaim the true message of the season and the reason for this momentous occasion. And I want to present three reasons why Christ came. They are to fulfill prophecy, to reveal deity, and to rescue humanity. Those are the three reasons for which Christ came. Let's take a look at the first, to fulfill prophecy. Jesus has a legacy of fulfilled prophecy that is unmatched by anyone in history. J. Barton Payne records in his book, The Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, that over 100 prophecies which he fulfills. It's an amazing legacy unmatched by anyone in history. In fact, you know, Isaiah 53, it's an amazing prophecy. If that's the only prophecy we had of Christ, that fulfillment by Christ just of that chapter is amazing. Because in that chapter alone, there are about ten prophecies made of Christ. The kind of ministry he would have, the fact that he would die, and that he would resurrect again. It's just an amazing chapter. If that's all we had, that'd be a remarkable legacy. But there are close to 100 in the Old Testament which Christ fulfilled. Just an amazing, amazing legacy unmatched by anyone in history. In fact, 
for those of you that were able to go on the tour to Israel, there is a museum. And in that museum is a pillar. And around that pillar, encased in glass, is the beautiful scroll of Isaiah that was found at the Dead Sea. The entire scroll of Isaiah is on that circular pillar. You can go around and read that whole thing in Hebrew. Now, one of the amazing things about that scroll is that it's dated 150 B.C. So even if you want to listen to the liberal scholars and say, well, two Isaiahs wrote Isaiah, or three Isaiahs, or Isaiah never wrote Isaiah, at least 150 years before Christ, that prophecy, the book of Isaiah was already written, and the prophecies within there, like Isaiah 53, were fulfilled by Christ. He's got a legacy of prophecy that is unmatched in human history. How do the other great religious leaders match up? There's no comparison. There's no comparison. And he studied the life of Muhammad. There is no prophecy written before Muhammad. Buddha, there is none. I was just in the homeland of Buddhism in Nepal. There are no prophecies made of Buddha before he sets foot upon the earth. What about other people? Well, Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church, we know, made several false prophecies in his writings. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, we know, are uh, well known for their prophecies of the end of the world. The most recent one was in 1975. They have a strong legacy of false prophecy there. What about Nostradamus? I'm always hearing about Nostradamus, seeing all these prophecies of Nostradamus, how he predicted Hitler, how he predicted 9-11, how he predicted this and that. Well, if you read the prophecies of Nostradamus, they come in quatrains, verses of four, and they're very vague. I mean, they can be taken to mean almost anything. But one of the things a lot of these specials don't highlight is the false prophecies of Nostradamus. One of his most famous ones is, his, is Quatrain 72, in which of July of 1999, he predicted the end of the world. And that prophecy, we know, did not come true. Now, what is the significance of all this? According to Deuteronomy 18, false prophecy is a sign that this is the speaking of uninspired human beings. False prophecy is a sign of a false prophet that God's inspiration does not stand behind them. But consistently fulfilled prophecy is an indication that is indeed divinely inspired of God. The book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verses 6 through 7, God indeed expresses that He is indeed omniscient and knows all things and proclaims things before they even happen. False prophecy is a sign that it is not inspired of God Consistently fulfilled prophecy shows that it is indeed the inspired work of God. Christ came, number one, to fulfill prophecy. Number two, Christ came to reveal deity and to relate to humanity. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, 
who is at the Father's side, has made him known. No one has ever seen God. That passage means that no one has ever seen God in the fullness of his glory. Exodus 33 states that if sinful man stood before God in all of his great glory, we would die. But Jesus came as the divine in a veiled form, in a form that we could withstand and comprehend and understand. He says, no one has seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. The literal reading is who is in the bosom of the Father. So this conveys the intimate fellowship that God the Son has with the Father. And it says that he has made him known. The Greek word there, has made him known, is exegesato. That's where the word exegesis comes from. And exegesis is what your pastors do every Sunday. They take a text, define the key words, explain structure, and fully explain to you the verse there. That's exegesis. And it says here that Jesus Christ is the exegesis of God, fully known. You want to understand the character of God, you need to look and study, and you can fully understand the character of God when you study the life of Jesus Christ. And one of the things about Christmas when I study the life of Christ and the incarnation is the incredible humility of God. You know, God who is rightfully the king of all the universe could have come with all the pomp and circumstance that he wanted and rightfully deserved. You know, one of the things that I enjoy is I enjoy watching uh, Ultimate Fighting, you know. And when the guys come walking in the cage, they come walking in proud with a great parade, music, you know, all the fans cheering their name, and they get into the ring and people are chanting their name. You know, Christ could have come like that. He rightfully could have. But how did he come? He came as a servant, humble, the son of a carpenter and a young Jewish girl, born in a stable, not in a palace or in a throne room, served mankind, died on a cross alone besides two criminals. Incredible humility when you understand the incarnation and the entrance of God into this world. I remember uh, I came here once and uh, I was speaking and I, I was walking by the door there and Pastor Ted was handing out the bulletins. And I looked at him and said, Hey, Usher, what, you got demoted? And he looked at me and he said, No, I got promoted. You know? Uh, that's the humility of w that which you know, Christ came with. You know, there's a story of an atheist living on the East Coast. And uh, it was Christmas time. And this atheist said, Ah, oh, Christmas, what a silly story. God becoming a man, dying. What a silly, silly story. Why does God have to become man? You know, just put a glowing cross in the sky. What a silly kind of story. Well, as he was thinking about it in the kitchen, he heard the rustling of birds in his barn. And so he peered out his window and he was hearing the rustling of a flock of birds stuck in his barn. So he went over to his barn and he opened the door and he walked over to the birds to try and shoo them out of the door. But instead they were afraid of him and began to retreat further back into the barn. And the more he got closer to them and the more he waved his hands, the more frightened they got 
and the further they retreated into the barn. And he thought to himself, what's the best way I could communicate with these birds and tell them to go fly out the door that's this way? And he thought about it for a little while and, and it just crossed his mind. He said, you know, if I became a bird, I could fly up there and, and communicate with them on their level in a way they could understand and I could lead them out the door. And suddenly it hit him. And he came to receive Jesus Christ that day. See, why did Jesus have to come? Was to reveal divinity, to reveal deity, so that we could relate with and understand the true character of God. So Christ came to fulfill prophecy, to reveal deity, and number three, to rescue humanity. Mark chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. And if you understand the context of this, Jesus had just told his disciples, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. And in the midst of that moving speech where Christ was probably in tears, he was telling his disciples, my time, my hour of suffering has come. In the midst of all that, James and John come up to Christ and say, Jesus, you know when you come in your glory, we want the most important seats. You know, he wants to sit on your left and I want to sit on your right. You know, after he just told them he's going to the cross to die. And so Christ has to set them straight. And he says in verse 45 here, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the supreme example of greatness. He voluntarily veiled his glory, freely restricted the use of his divine attributes and chose to die for the ones he had created. See, God did not passively stand by and watch us as we suffered through this life. One of the greatest messages I have to give all over the world is that we don't have a God stood by and said you guys better perform so you can make it up here someday we have a God who entered into our struggle and came alongside us and suffered with us and suffered the kind of pain that we have on a much greater scale but he entered into our fallen world and suffered and died with us he did not passively stand by but he came into our world. The amazing message is that we have a God who dared to leave his heavenly throne and come alongside us and suffer with us to pay the price of sin for which he was completely innocent of. You know, I run across a great story of this by Max Lucado. It's called The Fall. Tremendous, powerful story that illustrates the coming of Christ. And it goes like this. Long ago in a land far away, and unlike any you've ever seen, there lived a wise man named Shaddai. Shaddai was a large man with a tender heart. He had, a bright, he had bright blue eyes and a long, thick beard. And for his children, he built a wonderful village. It was more than any child could have ever dreamed of. The sun never seemed to set too early, and the night sky always soothed. And most of all, Shaddai was always near. When Shaddai wasn't in the meadow with the children or in the orchards, 
He was in the workshop. They loved to smell the sawdust and hear him sing and watch him carve a chair out of a log or make a table out of a tree. Every night he would gather the children on the grassy meadow and tell them stories. The children loved Shaddai and Shaddai loved the children. When they called his name, he dropped whatever he was doing and turned. His giant heart had a hundred strings, each held by a different child. That is why he built the wall. The wall was a stone fence surrounding the village, and with great care Shaddai had laid each rock upon the other. The base of the fence was wider than two of his strides. He spent days building the fence, and as he built, he did not sing. A deadly wilderness lay outside the village. As Shaddai built the fence, he would often pause to look into its shadows. Cruel thorns and savage beasts and hidden pits filled the dark forest. It was no place for children with soft, tender skin. Certain death awaited anyone who would enter. Beyond the wall is no life, he would tell the children in a very solemn tone. You were made for my village, not the terrible land beyond. Stay with me, for it is safe here. But in his heart he knew that it was only a matter of time. The day he placed the final stone on the wall, he returned to his shop, took a long aspen branch and carved the staff, and stood it in a corner, and he would be ready. One day a boy ran into Shaddai's shop. The sandy-haired child with searching eyes and restless energy brought the maker both joy and concern. Shaddai! In one motion, the builder dropped his hammer and turned, What is it, paladin? The boy spoke in spurts as he gasped for air. The wall! I found an opening, and it's a large opening, sir. The boy's hand stretched out to show the size. Someone could easily crawl through it. Shaddai pulled over a stool and sat down. I knew it would be you, Paladin, my child. Tell me, how did you find it? Well, I was walking along the wall searching for holes. Right, Paladin? Paladin paused, surprised that Shaddai knew. Yes, I was looking for holes, he said. So you could see out into the forest? Well, I was curious, Shaddai. I want to know what's so bad out there. Why you won't let us go there? Shaddai motioned for the boy to come. Cupping his face in his hands and staring into the boy's eyes, Shaddai said sternly, Paladin, listen to me. The regions beyond are not for you. They are not for me. A journey into the wilderness will bring death. You are not made for those lands. Let your feet carry you to many places you can go, not to the one place you can't. If you leave here, you will never find your way back. Paladin spoke softly. Then you will fix the hole then, won't you? No, Paladin, I created it. You broke the wall, but you just said you don't want us to leave. I don't want you to leave, but I left an opening when I built the wall. But unless you fix it, the children might leave, Shaddai said. I know. As long as the children have to stay, they aren't really here. Paladin didn't understand, but he didn't want to ask any more questions. Uncomfortable, he turned to leave. As he entered the sunlight, he looked back into the shop. There sat Shaddai, leaning forward, still looking at Paladin. Paladin was confused. Part of him wanted the safety of Shaddai's shop, while the other part drew him toward the fence. He looked again into the shop. Shaddai was standing now, not moving, but standing. His large hand outstretched to the boy. Paladin turned quickly away as if not to see. 
He walked as fast as he could, aimlessly at first, then purposely toward the fence. I won't get too near, he said to himself. I'm just going to peek out. Questions arose as he stepped towards the fence. What is this pull I feel? What is this curiosity? Why would the journey into the forest bring death? Paladin asked himself as he peered out of the hole into the forbidden forest. What is it that Shaddai is protecting us from, keeping us from? And as his knees began to move on their own, Paladin crept further and further. And soon his body was through the hole. And he rose slowly to his feet. For several moments he didn't move. He wondered if something would come out of the trees to hurt him. But nothing did. He relaxed his shoulders inside. It's not so bad, he spoke. It's nice out here. What is Shaddai worried about? He began to enjoy the wilderness. Nothing to fear here. For the first time in his young life, he believed that Shaddai was wrong. You just wait till I tell the others. And he turned to go back through the hole. But the hole was suddenly gone. He stopped and stared. He saw only solid wall. Paladin ran to the fence and stopped at every spot where he felt he had come through. He knew this had to be the place, but there was no hole and no sign that there ever had been one. Suddenly, he heard strange sounds in the woods behind him. He swung around, but he saw nothing. Paladin looked into the forest. Now it no longer seemed so friendly. It was dark and threatening, as if it were about to devour him. Desperately, Paladin searched the fence, but it was too tall to climb over, too thick to break through. There was no way home. If you leave here, you will never find your way back. Shaddai's chords rang in his mind. The boy's eyes wide with fear. He sat on the ground and hugged his knees and began to cry. Shaddai, Shaddai, I'm so sorry. Please come and help me, Paladin cried. Paladin's plea had already been heard before he ever spoke it. For as he left Shaddai's workshop, the maker had watched him as long as he could. When the boy was out of sight, Shaddai turned, not to take up his work, but to remove his apron. He hung his tools on the wall. Then he reached into the corner and took the staff, the one he carved after he had finished the fence. Even before Paladin had reached the fence, Shaddai had left the shop. Even before Paladin had asked for help, Shaddai was on the way to give it. Even before the hole in the fence had closed, Shaddai had opened another. His strong hands pulled away the rocks until he could see into the forest. With his staff at his side, Shaddai crawled through the hole. He left the village he'd made and entered the land for which he wasn't made and set out in search of his child. Powerful story of the reason Christ came to rescue you and me who had wandered away from him. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Perhaps for some of you, this brings a new understanding a whole perspective of the message this season. It was nearly 25 years ago that I first heard the message of the gospel of Christ. It was the most wonderful message that I had ever heard that the God of the universe desperately broke through creation and became a man 
to seek and find and establish a relationship with me. Perhaps for some of you, that is the gift that you need to receive today. It was for me that Christmas, 25 years ago, that the search began, where I first heard the message and I began to investigate, is this really true? It was four years ago that my mother, at the age of 70, called me and she said, I have a Christmas gift for you. And I said, what is it? And she said, I came to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And perhaps that moment has come for you this season. Would you be willing to begin the search to see if this wonderful message is true? And for some of you, your time has come to receive the wonderful good news of the sacrifice that God the Son made for you for your sins. For those of us who, who know Christ as Lord and Savior, the greatest message that we could proclaim is the true reason for the season. That the message is not in the fat man in the red suit, but it is the salvation of mankind, Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks for being with us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. We hope you got some good information. And we have more at evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is available free and for purchase on our website. And by the way, when you purchase our resources at evidenceandanswers.org, you help keep this show on this station and help us expand. You may also want to partner with us financially. Just click the Donate button on our front page. That's evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.